You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to take a quick minute to let you guys know about Rockabilia.com. I know you guys know Rockabilia. You've seen those ads with all the colorful t-shirts for all those bands. I know for me, it was a big deal growing up in Alaska, back in the woods where there was no internet, and we'd get those magazines at the store, and I would do two things. First, I would go to Rockabilia, that big full-page colorful ad, and find the coolest t-shirt I could find, the band that looked the most badass. Then I would go to the page in, and I would look at BMG for the five or ten CDs for a penny, and I would go through and try to find those bands, make that connection, and order those records, and a lot of those bands ended up changing my entire life. Now, before the internet, you could always go on and look in those magazines and see those shirts, but now it's all online, rockabilia.com, great rates on shipping, the same great merchandise, the same amazing bands, and it's a lot easier to go check those bands out. For me, it was partially discovery, and partially, you know, just becoming a teenager, becoming an adult, going through and finding those bands. So one hilarious story for Rockabilia was I got my first white zombie t-shirt through Rockabilia. It was the black and white t-shirt with the band on it. All my friends started making fun of me for wearing that shirt because they were getting into punk rock and I was still into metal. Now, I never got out of metal, but Rockabilia was there after the, the hazing got too much. And I went and ordered my first Green Day shirt from Rockabilia, which in turn started off my entire musical career going from playing Green Day covers back in the trailer in Alaska, in the woods, to the stages of the world playing with Anatomy of a Ghost and Portugal the Man. And Rockabilia had a big part in that. I know it will for you as well. I know it still does. It's nostalgic, but at the same time, they've been keeping up with the times online, rockabilia.com. Check them out now and have your own discovery.
What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Pure Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Adobe Radio, Jabberjaw Media, and now on Spotify. That's right, guys. We are on Spotify just this week. We just started up. It is going fantastic. We are stoked to be there. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. And this week, again, is no exception. The one and only Inge Johansson from Against Me, from the International Noise Conspiracy, you have seen Inge, I'm sure, many, many times, and a fantastic bass player, a hilarious dude. He is from Sweden, a small village. We get to, get to talking about that a lot in the episode. Um, you know, he's got a really awesome story of how he came about punk rock and metal and, you know, going to the record store and, and seeking out these bands before the internet, which I'm sure a lot of us can, you know, side with and, and uh, you know, really get into... Uh, our own story with that same that same feel. Inge is a fantastic dude. I had a blast talking to him. He's a lot of fun. He was on tour with Against Me when I talked to him. He actually was a little bit late for sound check, so my apologies to the rest of the band. But we had a good time. We didn't want to get off the phone, so uh, <laughs> that uh, benefits everyone. So super stoked to have you guys back another week. We are on PeerPleasurePodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. Uh, we are on Facebook. And uh, like I said, right at the beginning, we are now on Spotify. So you can stream us in 26 countries on Spotify. Uh, If you don't use iTunes, uh, it's more for people with Android devices or uh, without access to iTunes. Because iTunes is the preferred version, but the full version uh, is on Spotify as usual. And all the episodes are up there right now. So if you head over to Spotify and type in Pure Pleasure Podcast, you have access to all the episodes um, and you know, we're nearing 60 episodes now and, uh, it's been fantastic. So I want to talk about the Patreon, patreon.com slash peer pleasure podcast. You can get, get merch. You can join one of the tiers. You can throw a couple bucks at the show every month. Uh, really helps us out. helps us keep the lights on and we're going to be printing more merch soon. And with some of the tiers, you get it for free. So definitely go check out patreon.com slash peer pleasure podcast, Shout out to all of the Pleasure Seekers and the Pleasure Seekers Club. You guys are keeping this show alive. And the show will always be free, but it's definitely nice to make a little bit of money to cover all the costs because there is some costs associated with this. And, uh, you know, those of you that have podcasts understand. uh, A lot of listeners may not, but there's a lot of back-end stuff that goes on. There's artwork that goes on. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff where we have a whole crew working for us. So um, big shout out to those guys. And uh, really, really stoked to have you guys another week. Um, I know you guys heard the ad at the beginning for Rockabilia. Check out rockabilia.com for all your merchandise needs. They are a fantastic sponsor of the show. Check out the other shows on Jabberjaw Media. Um, I can't say that enough. There's some great shows, and they've been so supportive to us You know, over the, over the year we've been around. And big thanks to Adobe Radio. If you're listening to this on Adobe... Uh, the episode, you'll get the first hour of the interview, and then it will end. So go over to iTunes, go over to Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and get the full version there. And it'll be available immediately uh, as you're listening to this on Adobe. So definitely big shout out to them. Big thanks to them. Big thanks to all of you for coming back week after week. I don't want to drag this out any longer. I know I ramble on every week about all these things, but it's very important. And I want to get into my conversation with Inge Johansson from Against Me.
Well, Inge Johansson from Against Me, welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast, my friend. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, are we uh, are we going live? <laughs> yeah, well, we're we're going live on record. We're uh, it won't air till uh, a couple weeks out, but uh, we're we're okay. starting the recording. <laughs> okay, right on. All awesome. right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just uh, wanted to make sure in case we encounter some kind of technical difficulties or whatever that we can edit or <laughs> i don't know how you're doing this but sure. ah, all right cool let's let's rock right well uh good you are the second uh second dude from sweden i've had on the show i had dennis on uh who i'm sure you're familiar oh. with um <laughs> yeah I, I i know that guy <laughs> I had him on, uh, and he was in Sweden, so it was three in the morning my time, and uh, and he was just having lunch. I was like, "Man, you bastard!" <laughs> but, uh, That's funny. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm glad to have you on the show, um, Mike Mowry, a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, hooked us up together, yep. and uh, he used to tour manage you guys with International Noise Conspiracy, correct? That is correct. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's how yeah. he, he got into the business. But uh, so you've done, I mean, you've done all sorts of things. You've got, um, you got International Noise Conspiracy. You're doing Against Me right now. You've got a label with Dennis. You've been in all sorts of different bands, you know, all over the spectrum. Um, <laughs> you know, just to give yeah. people a rough idea. Uh, and you're playing bass for Against Me right now. Um, yep. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to talk a little bit, kind of jump back and kind of get your story. Growing up in Sweden, um, kind of what your family family life was like and, and, uh, and kind of how you came into the life you're in now. Oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> we have so, as much time as uh, you got because it's up to it's, all right, you're right the guest. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I was born 40 years ago. <laughs> I'm old <laughs> uh, in in, uh, in uh, the very north of Sweden. You would have to go by car like 10 hours north of Stockholm, perhaps. Wow. Uh, and I was uh, born and raised in a small village uh, outside a small industrial town in the village where I lived. Where I grew up, there was only about 500 people living there. And uh, that uh, shaped me in many ways growing up in a, like a rural area. And uh, when you don't have so much around you that like outside stimulation, you uh, make up a, a bigger inner world for yourself. And I did that as a kid. Uh, listening to the radio, listening to music, drawing, reading books and stuff like that, and sort of fantasizing about <laughs> what was, you know, uh, the, the outside world, what it would be like. Uh, I started listening to music actively when I was uh, seven or eight years old, you know, when uh, uh, early, early 80s, <laughs> uh -huh. when I got in, got into bands like... Through listening, I, I, I got into music because of listening to public radio in Sweden, and they occasionally played, like, metal, heavy metal music, and that, that was my gateway drug, listening <laughs> to music, 
listening to bands like Kiss and Iron Maiden and stuff like that uh, before I was even 10 years old. I Like, that kind of... That music really, really, really uh, captured me and I was so attracted to the energy and the, 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 the vibe in the music, the guitars, the drums, everything. Uh, and... Since uh, the place I grew up in was kind of small, there wasn't any kind of scene or any kind of like culture, really. People went to church, went to their jobs, uh, <laughs> drank a lot of alcohol, <laughs> uh, played hockey. And I felt like coming into my teenage years, I felt more and more like an outsider uh, in school and whatever. And I was... Uh, been listening a lot to music, identified myself with with music and especially like heavier thrash and speed metal, death metal was happening in the early 90s and Sweden was a big thing. And uh, I was sort of at that point also play, started to play bass. Uh, by myself and in school and stuff like that. I, I think I choose bass because that was the only like electric instrument that was available <laughs> in school. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it looks like something I've seen in, in some headbanger video. Like, I'll, I'll try that. Uh, but it wasn't until 91 when, uh, this was like before Nirvana and before grunge and before like, alternative and all that kind of stuff when I discovered bands like The Exploited uh, The Clash Eva Grimm uh, music that uh, especially like that kind of crossover sound with The Exploited that sounded like metal and the covers looked like metal but the attitude was a completely different thing the metal and all of a sudden my eyes and ears opened up and I was like this is me you know this I can this is music that I can actually relate to right away and uh, I can perhaps even play this kind of music because listening to Metallica and being 14 years old and trying to figure out what they were doing this like I mean, they were cool, but, like, I can't play like that. I still can't. So that was, kind of, that was kind of it, you know? Like, that was from being 14 years old, being exposed to bands like that, uh, it pretty much destroyed my life. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, that's, uh, and I can't say that I have changed or developed that much ever since. <laughs> And <laughs> going on from there, I moved away from my parents when I was like 19, 20, and I moved to Umeå, which had uh, an, you know, a pretty still well-renowned hardcore scene. And I became a part of that and started playing in bands. And <laughs> one thing led to the other, and... I was in the International Noise Conspiracy for 11 years, then I played in a few other bands, um, and then against me, uh, asked me to join in like four and a half years ago, I guess, uh -huh. and that's 
that's where I am right now. <laughs> Man. Oh, yeah. That's 40 years uh, compressed into uh, four minutes of talking, <laughs> I guess. Okay, okay, so, like, okay. Well, there's a lot there. There's a lot there, Inge. And, and so, I mean, it, it's interesting coming into into metal, hearing metal on, on uh, and when you say public radio, I mean, yeah. over here, over here, like public radios, like NPR, um, you know, like a uh, like no commercials, just like you know, people fund it. And then there's like commercial radio over here. Are you talking like commercial radio? You heard it, or were they playing metal on public radio? Uh, they they were playing on. We didn't get commercial radio until early nineties, I believe. Uh, until Sweden was very. Uh, controlled <laughs> for okay. a long time you know uh but yeah some like some shows late at night uh like they had like maybe one heavy metal hour a week <laughs> okay so and, like uh, 120 and, minutes kind of thing on mtv where metalheads had yeah. you know one shot a week to sit at home and listen to the radio yeah yeah exactly and and that's where uh also, I got you know I've, I've heard so much music, got in touch with so much music from listening to public radio back in the day, and and the radio back then, the public radio had a lot of money, so they they uh, interviewed all those like interesting bands and and you know you got a you got a glimpse of the outside world through your radio, and that was that was uh, that was a trip, man. I have to say it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and expanded my imagination. As I said, uh, living somewhere where the uh, your your direct world is so so limited, uh, your outside world is so limited, then then your inside world becomes a bit bigger. You know, you you you, you daydream a lot and you fantasize and you come up with crazy ideas about doing music yourself and. That's uh, what I did. <laughs> sure. Well, that's yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a wild story coming from it. And, and I mean, I come from the music world as well, and I grew up on a small island in Alaska, uh, which is oh you wow. Know, uh, I'm sure you've probably been there through through your touring, but um, or maybe not actually. But <laughs> no, I've never been to Alaska. It's uh, one of the few states that I haven't seen. Okay, it it'll take yeah, your breath away, man. And and being over in your area, I mean, you've seen some really majestic things and and been all over the world, but. Alaska, there's something about it. This there's kind of this rigidity to the to the beauty. Like it's it's like sharp points, and the mountains are all sharp, and and um, there's not yeah. a lot of smoothness to it, which is interesting. But but I I feel where you're we're coming from here, growing up on a little island, being you know the radio, yeah. and we had like three channels, and uh, yeah, well, same here, three channels. That's what we had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're just and fed whatever. One of them on was there. only church music and jazz. <laughs> And then you had the news on the second, and the third one played music. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, you come into these bands and and coming into to metal music and then into punk rock. That's a, I mean, it's a it's a fairly common progression, but the way it touched you is probably a lot different than somebody that had access to MTV, had access to, um, uh-huh. you know, all these different things. And uh-huh. it sounds like that tied a lot into, I mean, jumping forward, way forward to your sound. You have a really classic sound, almost like a timeless 
kind of tone to your music. I mean, you're, I'm talking about your actual bass playing, and your bass tone oh, okay. is very classic. And I, I, I would, I would gather it comes from those influences. You know that, uh, you know, I can. Uh-huh. It's just a really, really great sound and i and, you know and, and in the you know the week or so leading up to this interview i was going back and listening to um you know a lot of the music that you've done and and that's one thing i just felt throughout was just this really classic tone and uh oh you know i'm not Thank sure if that's so what you're going for but um you know it was it, and I'm, I'm really curious on when you got into when you moved out did you have before you moved out? Did you have like uh, were you working? Uh, what kind of work were you doing at that point? Did you have a job before you left and went to uh, to the big city? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I worked in a school with uh, with uh, the children who weren't really uh, they were a bit too wild to fit into the normal education. But <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was there as some kind of support system. Uh, well, uh, yeah, and I had a bunch of normal jobs, like, just like most other musicians, I have juggled day and night jobs with touring, Mm -hmm. you know, a big part of my life. Uh, but the tone that I used, yeah, um, I was lucky enough to, uh, not be, I mean, first of all, I went to music school. I have studied bass. I have played like jazz, funk, everything. You know, I've I've, I've been. I kept my uh, ears and my mind open to all kinds of influences, and that that probably uh, shaped or or became a part of my my tone when I play. But uh, when it comes to uh, like direct influences that I can uh, name drop. Yeah, sure. There's the classics we got. Uh, I mean, for me, Geezer Butler of Black Sabbath is, is one of my uh, all-time inspirations because of his tone and his uh, uh, style of playing the riff, but playing a bit outside the riff and throwing in some jazzy like runs in between the riffs and stuff like that. Uh-huh. That's something that I've, you know, uh, still uses, that, that I still use. With Against Me, it, it's a bit different because that that is a bit more playing along to the guitars than maybe Noise Conspiracy was. That was more like a, a, a groove, groove rock band. You yes. know, with yeah. a lot of, and, uh, but, and also, of course, uh, um, John Entwistle. From the hearing Who. When I dis- yeah, from the Who. Uh, he- when I started hearing how he was actually playing, I was like, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. <laughs> and I also played along a lot to like Rick James records and stuff like that, like repetitive, funky bass lines. In my teenage years, you know, being some kind of rural punker in a small village sitting there with red like six pistols hair playing along to rick james cd that I was just, <laughs> it's kind of odd <laughs> but i guess when 
because back then you're so young and that was like before the internet and before like everything was so widely accessible you had to uh you you had no point of reference you know just like oh this sounds cool whatever you know i'm i'm going to try to be into this and you you really listen to the few albums you own so i think as you say yeah there's some classic influences in my playing mm-hmm. and i have never uh intended to reinvent the wheel anyway <laughs> you know <laughs> sure sure well, I mean, you talk about I, having those few CDs and 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 or records, you know, like where were you getting your your when you had actual physical copies of music? Was there a record store in town or uh, or somewhere close, or was it like a mail order thing? Uh, yeah, it was mail order, and uh, there was one record store in uh, a, the small town that was like half an hour drive from our village, and I I mean I still love records i still buy records i still because i i'm i'm from that generation of 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 physical music and i remember when uh i had my birthday when i was a kid my parents used to drive me into town take me to a record store and i could go through the bins and see what they had and pick a record and that was usually like a kiss album or Iron Maiden or something, uh-huh. and uh, and I have to say, walking into a record store today, it's almost the same feeling. <laughs> like I'm like, ah, oh, this is so cool. Like, ah, oh, going through the bins and like, what can I find today? <laughs> it's like a time so, capsule. Yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, uh, but yeah, back then, yeah, um, you. You owned a Metallica LP, and, and, and looking at, like, the pictures of them, they were all, like, wearing Misfits shirts and Discharge shirts. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to check those bands out. Yeah. Somehow, I need to find a tape with the Misfits. <laughs> and the Misfits music. And when you did, because there was, like, another guy in school who was into kind of that kind of stuff, who who had been during the summer break from school, been to Stockholm and 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 paid a visit to some to some music store and and brought home some some CDs and and vinyl. You know, you it was it it was <laughs> it was such a mind blowing experience getting you know you 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 loved music from the start, but hearing all this like amazing music that was just so timeless. At, at that time, it was like, uh, you know, punk was not very happening, at least not in Sweden or Europe. Uh-huh. But getting exposed to it early 90s was just, wow. You know, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was wild. And, and it definitely, as I said, destroyed my life. I've been doing that thing ever since, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hearing the Dead Kennedys or... The Misfits and Sex Pistols, you were like, okay, this music is me. Whatever I'm going to do in my life from now on has to, it has to be, this music has to be a part of it somehow. And it was funny too, because in the early 90s, um, that was before all the old punk bands had reformed. 
<laughs> the Six Pistols weren't around. The Misfits weren't around. The Genesis weren't around. Uh, Sex Pistols weren't around. Like, all those bands, they were all broken up at the time. So that music was kind of a time capsule in a way. And uh, even bands that were current at the time, let's say uh, uh, Bad Religion, those guys were in their like older 20s, perhaps. No, I'm not sure if they had hit 30 at that time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any member. So it was really hard to imagine that I would be 40 years old, still be a punker, and making a living out of, you know, <laughs> touring the world playing punk music. Because no one had done that at that point. Yeah. <laughs> it's... It... <laughs> so, it, it's crazy to think about that. I mean, the, and you, I'm thinking, I'm listening to the story. I'm thinking you need to write a book that's called, uh, like music ruined my or music destroyed my life, a success, <laughs> but, but, but preface it also as a success story, you know, cause, cause I, you're a happy dude, man. You're a happy dude. You're doing something really cool. And, but you say it, you know, destroyed your life. And I know it's like tongue in cheek, but, but yeah, it completely. I can see what you're talking about. Where you're kind of a per- perpetual like child, like you don't have to grow up in a job like this. You know, that's one thing I noticed from touring is I'd go on tour for ten months and I'd come back and I was basically the same age. It felt like it felt like I was frozen in time. You know, because you get to yeah. just go have fun. You know, and, and yeah, uh, I, do you feel the same way? Where like, you just kind of feel. I guess you don't think about it as it's happening, but when you get home, you're like, man, what are you guys up to? Oh, I, you know, I did this at work or whatever. And you're like, oh, I've just been here, here and here and, and done all this. I mean, do you feel that way? Like you're kind of a a permanent child as far as, you know, just getting to do what you want and have fun. Uh, I wish it was like that, (laughs) but it's also, uh, I mean, it turns into, uh, I, I I don't want to call it a job because I had jobs and no, job I ever had had work days ending with people waiting outside to give me a hug and take a <laughs> selfie. <laughs> that was never the case. <laughs> but, but but it's work. you got to do work. Like, your days are scheduled. You have to be present. You have to do, like, you have to do what you have to do. But um, I was it was funny, though, because I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, a guy named uh, Itch, a singer of a fantastic punk band called The King Blues. And we were talking about how when we were in our younger and mid-twenties and, you know, we toured punk style, DIY, yeah. did that thing, everyone, like our peers, our friends who were living at home, they were kind of jealous of us because they were, you know, they had a steady job or they went to college or whatever and and we were a, a step ahead, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And now, like 15, 20 years later, whatever, they have all moved on. Like, they have like, oh, I got myself this great education, now I'm making tons of money and I have a steady <laughs> job and I was like, it's kind of cushy and all that and Oh, you're still going out in the van touring, huh? Yeah, yeah that's cute. You know, like, <laughs> like making ends meet. Good for you. And 
You're yeah. playing in your like, little band, I, aren't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's cute. All right. Uh, are you on Spotify? And, yeah. and then, uh, yeah, so we were like, yeah, you were ahead at the time, uh, ahead of your time when you were in your younger 20s, mid-20s, and now when you're over 30 and, in my case, 40, <laughs> you're, you're like, you're kind of behind of of the the uh, expected uh, um, expected path yeah. <laughs> that you're supposed to take in life. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and that's the and. Do you find yourself ever being jealous of them now? Like, oh man, they've got this and this, or they've got kids, or they've got you know? Do you find you, you oh, yeah. switched places? Oh yeah, everything you haven't got, you want. That's of kind course. of how life yeah. works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you got plenty of time to look at that kind of stuff too. I mean, being you know on the long drives and everything else, but I'm sure on the scale now where you're where you're playing with against me, I mean, like you said, everything's scheduled out. Everything's you know uh, regimented and, and, uh, you know, there's yeah. more money involved and there's more pressure, but at the same time, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it's still, I mean, just, I mean, just getting to rock out on stage. I mean, it's, does it feel the same to you that way? Or does it feel in, in this case, I kind of want to talk about, I want to talk about noise conspiracy some too, but, but with against me coming into a band that's so established already, that's already been through, I mean, I remember seeing against me in Portland here where I'm living now in Portland, Oregon, uh, at a small club called the Meow Meow. And all I remember was... Oh, I remember the Meow Meow. Yeah. I played the Meow Meow. There you times. go. The noise conspiracy. Yeah. 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 So um, it's a small club. And, and uh, all I remember was there's a there's a promoter in town you're probably familiar with named uh, Mike Thrasher. Thrasher Presents and uh, puts on a yeah, lot yeah. of the big shows. All I noticed is the guest, and I was working for this venue at the time. I noticed the guest list was completely full, the house list was full, and it was all employees of Thrasher. So I knew it was, there was something special about this band because all the people that work in the business were there to watch yeah. them, and it went off. It was crazy, and from then on, I'd been a fan. I had not heard of them before, so um, that was—I mean—that was a long time ago. That was there, man. I can't remember what record it was on, but it was right before things started blowing up. And I wanted to know what it was like, kind of how you were approached to join against me, and then what it's like joining an established band like that that's had such a, a varied past, where going from DIY and then people like protesting the shows when some success came along. I mean, mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. 
you and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, Synced Lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now. The podcast about nothing. Your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? <laughs> so do we. Why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts? Thank you. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the past cast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the past cast. The past cast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest. Uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. 
Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So, so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of, of that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Well, I think I... To start off, I was a fan of Against Me for a few years before joining in. You know, it's it's like that movie Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg. Okay. Almost when he's <laughs> in, the, yeah, in that. I'm familiar with that one. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, yeah, I was a fan of the band. And Noise Conspiracy played a show with Against Me in 2004 in Dallas, Texas. Uh, it was the International Noise Conspiracy against me. I think Dillinger 4 was on the, the list. Okay. Or, and Lawrence Arms. Lawrence Arms, Might have okay. been. Yeah, if, if, and about 70 people showed up for that one. Like, I wonder wow. what kind of, yeah, how many people would show up if you had that lineup today. Yeah, but, holy uh, shit. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I was I was familiar with their stuff. I became a real fan around the new wave era, mm -hmm. and uh, what basically happened was that uh, I was uh, when Noise Conspiracy called quit. I um, I started touring with a band from Brazil called CSS. Can say the sexy uh, like an electronic. Uh, bands really cool band I, I love that band and uh i i became their tour tour bassist like an, a hired gun yeah uh and that was fun and we had uh our tech at the time when um css stopped their touring cycle he started working for against me and against me came uh, to Scandinavia. I was living in Oslo, Norway at the time, and they played a couple of shows in, they played one in Oslo, one in Gothenburg, and, uh, I went to both to hang out with my friend and, and, and to see against me, and I got introduced to the band, and, you know, they were friendly, and, uh, you know, just like, hello, I'm, this is me, this is you, like, uh, and we stayed in touch. I stayed in touch with, uh, with Laura and, uh, um, what happened was like about like half a year later, something like that. Uh, I read online that both the bass player and the drummer of against me had quit 
and and there was some kind of uncertainty, like is the band going to go on? What's going to happen here? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I basically I, I uh, got in touch with Laura because splitting up noise conspiracy was was tough for me because that was like that was my family, that was my livelihood to a certain extent, that was my identity. It was it was tough, and I, I was sort of just like trying to figure myself out. Uh-huh. And I got in touch with Laura, and I just said like, "Hey, I read that uh, your bandmates have left you and all that, and <laughs> I know that it can be it can be really rough because um, I went through this with noise conspiracy. People, you almost took for granted all of a sudden they're gone and it, there's a void and, and, and that can get to you. So I hope you're doing okay. Just want to reach out and say hi. Yeah. And Laura, she, she got back to me and said like, Oh, thanks. You know, it's, it's weird, but I'm, I'm still writing music. I'm trying to sort of, you know, move forward. And I said, great, you know, I'm, I'm a fan and I, I can't wait for more music. And I just sort of, Half seriously, half jokingly said, uh, if you need a bass player, you know who to talk to. You know who to talk to. <laughs> and, uh, and I got that reply, sure, that sounds great. We should talk more about this. And I thought, like, you know, that's just something something she's saying here. Yeah, a ple- like pleasantry. A, yeah. A few months later, I was asked to join them on a tour that was like a couple of weeks of like the Midwest doing the riot fests and stuff like that. And, oh, it, it, that was wild. Uh, I mean, I, I was living in Norway at the time. Uh-huh. And, of course, I said, yes. And they sent me a set list, and I started practicing the songs, and I had to sort of keep my mouth shut because this was kind of like, I didn't want to jinx it. You uh-huh. Know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, and I felt pretty confident and, 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 you know, like, you know, this is, this is going to be great. Uh, so, but man, the, the, the day I boarded the flight to go to the U.S. to, to go to practice with them for the first time before the tour, I, ah, I, I was nervous. I have to say, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but at least, you know, the first practice we had with this new lineup, this formation that we're, that's still together. Uh, I don't know. I felt like I had nothing to lose. I came in with, uh, I was happy to be there. I had a positive attitude. I knew the songs and I knew that no matter what, what, what's going to happen here, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to have a good time. And I think that attitude and, it helped me, you know, it, it helped me to get the gig, actually, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I came in, you know, with a serious but, like, fun attitude towards what we were doing, and we did a couple of weeks on the road, and then uh, after the tour was over, they asked me, like, so, if you want to be a full-time member of the band, the spot is yours, which was big news for, for me to take yeah. in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. 
So, and mm-hmm. you got to think they were nervous too. I mean, they're bringing on new people, and and is this going to work? Is this not? Because it was already their livelihood, you know. And you knew, you know where they were coming from, and that's yeah, that's incredible. But I think that's it. I mean, just yeah. wow. Yeah, but also I think I could relate to them, and they could relate to me in the sense that they started in the DIY community just as I did. Yeah, I went through the DIY label moving on to a bigger indie, getting signed by the majors, getting dropped by the majors, both against me and and I had done that journey. And uh, that made it, I think that that made us some kind of peers or whatever. I I don't know how to phrase it in a better way, but, but I think that's how we understood where we were coming from, like from both ends. Yeah. You understood each other. There was some common ground. Yeah. Man. And then living in Oslo, I mean, there's a insane music scene over there. I mean, that's one of the most, that's a hotbed for music right there as far as like the black oh, yeah. metal scene and, and everything else. Uh-huh. I mean, I, were you into that kind of stuff too? Oh, yeah. I love some black metal stuff. I'm, I'm, I think I'm way more into black metal than death metal because of the theatrics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I like I like some death bands too. Uh, yeah, I I I I was never. I played in bands that had like black metal influences. Uh huh. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm walking out on the street now. Oh, I hope. Okay. Uh, this, uh, I played in 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 crust and DB bands with a bit of black metal influence. Uh, and I I'm a big fan of. I mean, bastardry is something I listen to quite more more than I admit to people. I think venom <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, but I was never involved in that scene. I was more of a. I I, I have the same relationship to to black metal as I have with hip hop. You know, uh-huh. I love black metal. I love hip hop. But I'm not in the scene. I'm more like a nerd, like observing <laughs> it from the outside. <laughs> You're that kid on his computer at two in the morning, like, oh, this band looks badass. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And it's just like, oh, they're way too cool for school. Like, but oh, I did their music, but I'm, I'm staying outside. I'm staying in my bubble here. But I, I would buy the album. Yeah, you know, I would, you know, and and I might as well. There's. There's like a weird hipster culture around black metal that I don't want to be a part of anyway. So, yeah, yeah. it's definitely become it's definitely become a hipster go-to as far as I mean, and I think it's also the same thing: the imagery and the theatrics and and the the aesthetic of those the the whole thing from the logos to the the t-shirts yeah. to everything. It's just cool to be into black metal now, whereas. Before you looked at like a freak, you know, and yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so, and I feel that that whole scene came from that whole the the environmental aspect of that scene. Being from Alaska, you being from a small village in Sweden, like you, you felt that desolation. I'm sure, where yeah, the, the winters, the, the the you know limited daylight. I mean, that can yeah. change you and your artistic output oh, as well. Definitely. You know, I don't think a lot of people realize how just how much that affects things and it's it's fascinating to me you know yeah 
to talk to someone else who knows with that desolation, like, you know, four hours of daylight, you're walking to the school bus in pitch black, there's animals everywhere, like, that could kill you, you know, Uh, people don't have that, that background don't understand. And I don't think they really respect people and life the way that we do. You know, and value yeah, it. True. It's crazy when there's stuff that can kill you down your street on the way to school. I mean, you you approach things a little differently, you know, and appreciate. You do, it. Yeah, and and that nature is like a force around you that you have to adapt to. Yes, you know when when winter comes, your life changes. When summer comes, your life changes. Like what you do and how you how you do it changes, and. During those long winter months of darkness and a lot of snow and a lot of silence, you uh, tend to uh, you 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 look inwards. Yeah. You, there's it's an introspective time, and and I think in in a lot of that kind of atmospheric black metal music that mood is there yeah. and that sort of that closeness like it was like i was i was actually playing dark throne transylvanian hunger uh-huh. to my girlfriend to my girlfriend the other day <laughs> and i told her like when i close my eyes and listen to this music i see forest yeah. i see snow like that's like no, I don't see any nature at all in this. <laughs> like this is just oh. noise. Sounds like a bee swarm. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like if I, if my what I see in this is definitely, uh, I I hear nature. I he, I hear the forces of nature, the changing of seasons, and isolation. You know, yeah. <laughs> and. and uh, that's just, but but I relate to music in many styles of music like that that I uh, that I can uh, close my eyes and listen to music and and have a, a bigger inner experience from it, uh, and that I think comes from growing up very isolated and without a lot of outside stimulation. You you let your fantasy run wild. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the way it was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel because, I mean, I and what you're saying and feeling, and, you know, putting on that record and feeling and seeing the forest, same thing with the Pacific <laughs> Northwest, even not being isolated, but, I mean, bands from the Pacific Northwest here, like Wolves in the Throne Room and stuff, like it's a different kind of, of aesthetic. Like it's more majestic, uh, yeah. you know, which, which also shows, you know, where you're at. And, I think it's a gift to be able to have that in our lives as far as having that respect for the environment, knowing every day that the, the, the seasons change, whether we want them to or not, we don't have control over really anything. And that's what people that grow up in a city never have to experience. It's like, Oh man, it's raining today. You know, it's not a matter of life and death to where you have to respect all of that. And that's something, you know, or I think you and I connect where, you know, we've felt that feeling and we've felt that, that helplessness, but then also that confidence of being able to survive and knowing what to do and, and you know, and being able yeah. to say, if everything went bye-bye tomorrow, if all the internet and everything went bye-bye, we'd be fine because we know how to, how to survive. We know how to, you know, entertain ourselves and, uh, you know, our imaginations <laughs> yeah, I, work. 
Yeah, yeah, to some extent. I have become a bit spoiled over the last <laughs> uh, 20 years of my life, but uh, theoretically, we're talking about the same thing. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, jumping back a bit, too, I mean, I mean, coming into noise conspiracy, I mean, and you did, I was told, I didn't know if this was true or not, but if you, you did some stuff with Refuse before they broke up the first time? No. Okay. I was what... I, I was in there for a second. Okay. Like, I, I was a feeling guy for, for a show. Okay. Uh, but but uh, I I saw them plenty. Yeah. <laughs> Is that how and... you met Dennis and those guys, like, uh, to, yeah. to start yeah, Noise definitely. Conspiracy? How did that come together? Uh, I moved to Umeo in 97, the town where Refuse was based. Mm-hmm. And... At that time, they were quite a phenomenon in, in, in Sweden. Uh, and in Europe, they were kind of a, I guess, SWAT, smaller size club, hardcore band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in Sweden, they were, they were a, a big deal. Uh, and, but since the town was so small, it's like 120, pe- yeah, 120,000 people in there or something. If you're in the scene, you get to meet everyone. <laughs> and I met Dennis, and we hit it off in some ways at the time. And uh, he was, at that point, he was mentally done with Refuse. He uh-huh. was just like, you know, this is not the music that I want to that I wanna do anymore. This is not what, like, where I am as a person right now. And both me and him we're into a lot of 60s music. We like, you know, the Stones, Beatles, The Who, uh, Hendrix, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a little bit ahead of me. Uh, so he gave me a tape with, like, other cool things, like the Sonics and Small Faces and music like that. Uh-huh. And that was also during the, the sort of garage rock revival thing. Yep. Where about to happen and that like nuggets box set got re-released and all that and we were so hooked on that music and and that uh in mod fashion and 60s uh 60s fashion that went hand in hand with uh also like the history of resistance and history of like uh fighting back in 1968 and and the anti-war movement, stuff like that, you know, uh-huh. that uh, appealed to us as, like, left-wing-minded anarchists in the north of Sweden. So, like, it was uh, a combination of, of where we were at, uh, where we had been and where we were at. And then Dennis said, like, I want to start, like, a band that's going to be, like, a little side project. Uh-huh. Because, because they, I don't think they had... He was mentally done with Refuse at the time, but he wasn't. Uh, uh, he, he, they they didn't have any plans of breaking up, so he just wanted a different outlet. And uh, I said, "Yeah, you know, I'm your bass player because <laughs> I like all of that music, you know." And we started like trying out and all that, and it took about half a year until we figured it out. And then uh, Refuse went on uh, the, the famous US tour of 98 when 
when they broke up after a couple of weeks on the road. Uh-huh. And <laughs> Dennis people, he had a couple of weeks of, of mourning. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, then he just called me up, called Sarah up, called Ludwig up, called Lars up, and said, let's do this. And we, uh, one October night in uh, 98, we were all like, we met at what was going to be our practice space, all five of us. And we, you know, we already kind of looked the same. We had like, you know, the 60s haircuts and mop tops <laughs> and black, blue hair. I still rock that. Yeah. And, uh, and blue, black hair and, and, and parkas and, and, you know, that kind of style. And we played through the Sonic song, Strix Nine, twice. And everybody just looked at each other. This is sounding good. And from uh, that day on, it was uh, like a full-on thing. Like we, we really set our mind. Oh, actually, the day a- the, the day after that practice, we couldn't practice because Motorhead was playing in town, and I had oh. to go see them. But <laughs> the day after that, we started practicing for real, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And we we started like a pretty hectic schedule. We practiced four, five times a week. Yeah, and just wrote songs, and and everything came together very organic and and naturally. And yeah, that was uh, that was the start of it. <laughs> Man, and then so so from then on, you I mean you started touring full time. I mean I remember. I saw you guys a couple times in the states, and and uh, whether it was festival stuff or at clubs, and was super into it. And then, I mean, that was a long that was a long run for you guys with with Noise Conspiracy. And when you, I wanted to talk too about. I mean, I know there's a lot in between, but when you were talking about how that band ended and it was your family and everything, what what took that band from you know being just a massive massive force to breaking up at the end. I mean, what was the, what was the, the story behind that? The old story of indie band signing to getting signed to a major label. And that happened right when the music industry crashed because of, of the, the change of uh, consumption from, uh-huh. from physical discs to, uh, to your computer, basically. Uh, we signed with American uh, uh, because Rick Rubin wanted to uh, produce our records, and that was the only way we could afford that yeah. that service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of a sudden, American gets bought bought by Universal, I think, first, and then it got bought by Warner. And all of a sudden, we're losing all the people that were supposed to work on our albums and work with us. And uh, I remember Armed Love being almost two years old when it got released. And by then, that album was dead. You know, it was already done. Yeah. And and we were outside of, like, we tried to, we did tons of, like, support tours and tried to, like, work America. But having, not having an album out, not having anyone working for you, not having a support system and a plan just sort of left us, you know, you know, drifting and trying to, we knew what we wanted to do musically and aesthetically and all that, but we had no one all of a sudden 
going from Epitaph that supported us a lot and worked with us and really had a, a tight team helping us out, signing to American Recordings, and all of a sudden, we are that weird Swedish band uh, while they were still having, like, Johnny Cash and Slayer uh-huh. and System of a Down, and and you you end up, since you didn't have a hit, you end up, like, not being the number one priority. And then uh, we recorded the follow-up, uh, The Cross of My Calling, um, also, but American could not release that one, so it got released through Vagrant, I believe. And so it was like step by step getting sort of smaller and smaller and smaller. And all of a sudden, you know, we don't have a relabel in the U.S., which was 70% of our market was the U.S. because mm-hmm. we toured there all the time. And then having our European label saying, uh, we were hoping that... Uh, your uh, American label would help us push the album, so we're not going to do so much, or we don't have the resources behind it. So uh, we, as much as it is an art form, it is a business, yeah. and you got to have your investors, you got to have a plan, and no, all of a sudden, you know, no one wanted to really believe in us anymore, and we could do tours in Europe, uh, and we still did good in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Spain. We did, we did really good, but it wasn't enough. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got people in the band getting offers from bigger and more established acts and mm-hmm. started playing with them. And, and then, uh, the refused reunion came along and it was just like, no one's heart was with it anymore. Uh, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we, we kind of fizzled out and broke up over email. Oh, my and, God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jeez. So, yeah, that, that kind of, uh, yeah, it, it was rough. It, it, it wasn't fun. I'm over it now and I'm very proud of what we did and my history with that band, of course. Uh, but, it is like a relationship falling apart. And it's going to be, you're going to be sad. You're going to be like, you know, you go, you go through that phase of like being single, basically. <laughs> yeah. Being, yeah, being dumped. <laughs> yeah, we got, yeah. Uh, and uh, we all know how that feels. So, uh, yeah. that, that was the downfall of the man. And it's, it's a shame because I really think that Armed Love and The Cross of My Calling our, our best that's our best work yeah and it's not available in the United States like even to this day armed love is not available on any streaming service in the United States because of label that's that's incredible that they can just shelve something like that and just hold it off you know like yeah it's not a Whatever they can recoup out of that, <laughs> I don't really want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Being in, in, in being in a sound city where you've been not for three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. And was he even? I mean, was he like? I know I hear a lot of bands talk about working with Rick Rubin, how he just wasn't even really there. <laughs> like he, you're working with an engineer and he rarely shows up. Oh, 
he was there. He was very present. From okay. production rehearsal to uh, um, pre-production, and he we practiced at his house, and he was hanging out with us. And he uh, came with a lot of good ideas and inputs on, on our songs, and I learned so much from working with uh, with Rick. Uh, yeah. That is, uh, without doubt, like... Uh, Wow, what a privilege that was, you know. And he was he was there every day for the first album for uh, uh, Armed Love, and for the second album, The Cross of My Calling. He yeah. showed up like every third day or something. Okay. But I had a feeling that he trusted us basically. Yeah. And uh, that's why. Uh, but yeah, uh, that was our story with. <laughs> American recordings. <laughs> wow. That's it's so I mean there's so much cliche there with the with the you know getting like you said getting signed to a major getting dropped from a major and then basically just being abandoned until eventually being abandoned by the rest of the family. Like like yeah, you yeah. know until it becomes internal abandonment, you know and and uh but man, going from a small you know village in Sweden to I mean, stages all over the world. I mean, what a journey, uh-huh. Inge. I mean, what a journey. That's insane. I mean, the amount of things you've done, you know, in your 40 years so far. I mean, there's a lot to come, I'm sure. But, but I mean, how often do you just sit and reflect on that? I mean, do you have time to even do that? I mean, when you when where are you living right now? And when you go home, when tour is over, do you live in America or you go back to, to uh, Norway? or I- you I live in Los Angeles. Oh my God! <laughs> Full <Yeah>. circle. <laughs> yeah. Damn yeah. it again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm. Uh, I, I've become one of those people. I love it there. I can't. I can't lie. Yeah. It is actually Man. a place that I <laughs> enjoy very much. <laughs> that is, that's absolutely fantastic, man. But yeah, I I reflect and I. I feel like I'm uh, still. Uh, how you, I feel like I'm still on my way, you know. Yeah. I still I, I feel I feel like I'm on a journey still, and that this is I'm I'm living very much in the now with everything I always did because that's the only way to survive like uh, a very extensive tour schedule like like ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know my my life is basically like an even though with that history my life is is basically like an AA meeting you know I <laughs> one day at a time yeah one day at a time <laughs> one day at a time <laughs> yeah except the things you can change and those or, or change the things you can or I don't remember how it goes yeah yeah, yeah I know yeah, what yeah. you're saying <laughs> yeah. man well Inge dude I really appreciate you spending an hour with me and and telling me your story and all the listeners your story and and uh you know just a fascinating guy man and and such a a cool story but just an inspiration I mean your energy and your attitude I mean I can see why they they called up and said hey let's get this guy you know every every time that happened I can see why now you know it's it's uh I've had a a smile on my face this whole interview just because of your 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 presence you know like it's uh it's inspiring and i appreciate it and and uh 
uh, appreciate the time, man. I really do. Oh, well, thank you for talking to me, and thank you for having me on your podcast. Absolutely, man. I will will send you all. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Inge Johansson from Against Me and the International Noise Conspiracy, one of the best bass players I've ever seen, one of the nicest guys I've ever chatted with. We had a blast. I know you guys did, too. I know you guys appreciate these interviews and, you know, have a good time listening along in to these conversations, and I really try my best to make these conversations interesting to the listener as well as to myself, because if I'm not interested, there's no point in doing it, right? So I appreciate you guys coming back week after week, sticking by me. Uh, The numbers keep growing. That is just absolutely fantastic. I can't tell you how exciting that is to see these numbers grow every single week. And, you know, having you guys along with me, getting the emails, getting the feedback, getting all the um, information you guys are sending me, um, you know, specific feedback on things you like or dislike, things you want to ask guests, guest ideas, all that good stuff. Really appreciate it. Keep it coming. It really makes me feel great to know you guys are out there listening and paying attention and that it's getting noticed. And uh, we're seeing it all over the place. And absolutely stoked to be on Spotify. Definitely check us out on there. Go follow us right now. Even if you don't listen to it on there, go ahead and follow us. It definitely helps out. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Those ratings on iTunes really help us out as well um, with the algorithms and all that stuff. There's a lot of back-end stuff that goes on there. So if you like the show, give it a five-star rating on iTunes. And just big thanks to you guys for coming back week after week. I truly appreciate it. My team appreciates it. Um, you know, the guys at Jabberjaw, everyone everyone on board with this show appreciates having you guys week after week. And without you guys, there is no show. So very, very big thank you to you guys. Check out patreon.com slash the peer pleasure podcast, or excuse me, slash peer pleasure podcast. Uh, join the Pleasure Seekers Club. All sorts of great shit on there. Go check it out. Um, I don't need to explain it any further. Go to patreon.com slash peer pleasure podcast. Check it out now. And definitely go to Jabberjohn. Check out the other shows on the network. Hit rockabilia.com. Get your t-shirts. Get all your rock band merchandise. Um, you know, as you t- heard me talk about in the beginning of the episode, a fantastic sponsor. And uh, we're super glad to have them on board. So without further ado, we'll see you on the radio. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.